This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the New Book Podcast. I'm Deidre Tyler, host. Today, we'll be talking with Paula Chia Domingo, and she can correct me on that pronunciation. She's author of The Diversity Divide. Please correct me, author. Uh, Paola Cecchidimeglio from the Diversity Dividend book published by MIT Press. Now, in your book, Diversity Dividend, tell us something about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And why did you decide to make it the focus of your career? Well, I think diversity, equity, and inclusion is all around us. Um, And it is very important um, that we equip our organization uh, with the right tool to be able to um, increase uh, and sustain the number of diverse talent that um, they want to recruit, attract, and retain. That's, I will say, the most important one. The second point about what drives me um, into this field is by being a lawyer trained and being a behavioral economist, I realize that there are ways in which we can bring knowledge and science uh, to organization for them to move the needle. Um, and doing so from the perspective of understanding what it is uh, to be from a certain gender and being from a certain minority also have helped, uh, I will say, shape my determination to uh, bring more and more uh, knowledge into that field. Now, let's start by you telling the audience a few words about yourself. A few words about myself. Um, I will say that um, I'm a citizen of the world, uh, trying to understand that our diversity and our of you know culture, knowledge, experience um, is the wealth of our humanity. That I think is a strong value that I live by. Um, something else um, that I have. 
um, I will say I'm a first generation uh, American and still believe into the American dream. Now, where did you get the title from, Diversity Dividend? Uh, where did I get the title from? That's always a great, a great way of uh, asking where that uh, that come from. Diversity dividend, the title come really from an understanding of an economic perspective of talent and the labor market. Um, there is a reap, I will say, a multiplier effect as we have in economy. Um, war compounding over time and diversity is a dividend um, as um, a stock could be uh, and a dividend could be uh, in the field of the market. What are most American businesses better at, racial diversity or gender diversity? Well, I think it's um, a question of looking at the industry, right? Um, some industries are doing better in terms of gender diversity um, than others. Uh, so, for example, you know, when we think about nursing, uh, we have a greater number of uh, women uh, nurses compared to a number of men uh, nurses. But if we look in other industries, we have the opposite. So, for example, in uh, the physician world, world we have uh, more male doctor than we do have a uh, female doctor. That's an example in in terms of gender. In terms of ethnicity, um, also depending on uh, the industry and that you are looking at and the sector, you may have greater number of underrepresented group. Um, in certain sector, so for example, in the gig economy, um, and gig economy may be, for example, Uber driver left um, without making any commercial to any of those companies, but they are a representation of uh, the gig economy compared to looking at professions such as a legal profession where you have more white Caucasian um, population there and less underrepresented individual. So depending on the sector, um, you will see that there is great differences and variation. Um, I don't think there is any sector who excel at um, overall uh, being good at gender and uh, diversity, um, equity, but everybody is striving uh, to do so. Is there data to support the idea that having more people from underrepresented groups participating in an organization will lead to financial benefit? So that's um, always a very interesting question because from an economic perspective, there is what we call a correlation and not a causation. So when we remove the academic lingo behind it and the scientific lingo, what does it mean? It means that um, we see that companies who have a greater number of uh, women and underrepresented individuals within their company outperform their peers. Um, but it doesn't mean that there is a direct causation. There are many factors that can come to it, but this is something that we have observed in science. That's number one. Number two, what we know is 
um, from various groups from and research across field, um, both in, like, I will say, in sociology or in economy uh, or even in the legal profession, that the diversity of individual by gender or by ethnicity will bring uh, a different type of solution to problem. And generally speaking, all those research show that having a diverse group of individuals will lead to a better outcome. And as such, the diversity become extremely important because there is you know, a driver behind it of providing solution to problem that humanity face. What can companies do to attract more diverse applicants? Well, um, there are many things that they can do, right? And this is what is great about uh, science and uh, looking at um, when those a solution in science work and when they apply, when we apply them in the real world and see how does that translate? Because sometimes intervention that we do in a real world doesn't work. So I should say that, but what works? And that uh, is something that is extremely important for an employer, whatever is the size of their company. And, and it can be even, you know, a mom and pop uh, shop, you know, is for example, in attracting um, their talent, uh, making sure that their job offer or ad um, provide a language with neutral. That's very simple, but that's a very powerful one. Another one is the ability to um, use, I will say, between five to seven uh, criteria or skill that they will be assessing the candidate. And directly after interview those candidates, rank them, and at the end of the day, um, compare those candidates. Another very simple way uh, to do is to make sure that there is a multiplicity of the number of person looking at the candidate and giving um, an assessment, a measured assessment of the candidate. There are those three easy uh, ways in which company can do uh, to attract and recruit candidates from a more diversified background, knowing that it will lead to result of uh, recruiting them and uh, retaining them. Do you have some specific tips for removing implicit bias during the interview process? Well, um, you know, uh, I wish I have the ma magic wand, uh, bearing in mind that we are all human and we do have many biases uh, kicking in at every uh, time of the day, bearing in mind that we're making, you know, more than 10,000 decisions a day without even realizing it. So what is the best way for us when we make a decision and we assess a candidate to know that we are enabling ourselves us as individual to provide the best decision we can, who is, um, I will say, empowering yourself of overcoming biases that can come. So number one, I will say a very simple one, knowing 
when do we make the best decision? And as such, having the ability to assess your week and say, you know, I'm making better decision in the morning or in the afternoon. And being able to assess those decisions in terms of importance. Are they important or not? And going back to um, making those decisions in terms of candidate, it's uh, the ability to question yourself when you have seen a candidate and say to yourself, hey, based on the data that I have about my own decision, do I have a tendency to be more biased in the morning or making different type of decision in the morning than I do in the evening? And so that's, I will say, the first element, being self-aware of how our decision change during the day, during the week, and even during the year. You know, that's, I will say, the most powerful tool that anyone can apply. Now, what can an what can a a potential employer um, do or manager when they are assessing a candidate do? I will say first is having a clear list of criteria. Again, five to seven and rank those criteria related to the scale of the candidate from a scale to one to five and see where the candidate in each of those scale criteria is and fall. Then again, do that assessment right away after seeing the candidate. And when having a multiplicity of um, reviewer or potential employer looking at a candidate or manager, um, all having um, their decision being presented to them simultaneously about a candidate. Why being able to do that, that allow everyone to see the power of the crowd, the power of everyone decision. Another way uh, that I will say is um, helping you to reduce the biases when you are assessing a candidate is to think um, that every candidate you are seeing are good candidates. And now it is in your power to uh, come up with a reason why this person is not a good candidate. So thinking about the opposite uh, when assessing a candidate is also a very good way. Rather than thinking which one will make to the list, here is thinking everybody is on the list. Now I need to justify why this candidate is not qualified. You have an entire chapter on onboarding. Why is onboarding so crucial to increasing diversity and how can companies do better? But tell us first of all, what is onboarding? Yeah, onboarding is something that I mean, depending on which generation we are looking at, um, is the way in which the company will bring uh, the new employee to the job and familiarize this individual with the task at hand. Uh, so, you know, depending on which generation of um, uh, labor that you're looking at, everybody has been on board in a way or in another. It's just the term onboarding is something more recent 
um, in the language. But onboarding means that you may go within a day of joining the company to a training and up, I will say, up to one month uh, where the company will train you about the tool, about the people uh, that you may um, need for executing your job. Why uh, onboarding is so important is, you know, candidate when they join a company very quickly know if they will stay or not. And as such, uh, a lot of the company are underestimating the importance of onboarding, meaning providing the right type of information for a new employee to come in and to perform their task. When onboarding is done right, um, you are more likely to retain your talent uh, in the short, but also in the long term. And as such, uh, reduce the cost, the heavy cost of losing talent along the way. Um, So I will say, you know, what are the practical tips that an employer can do uh, is making sure that um, onboarding is not just done within a period of one month, but I will say 12 months to uh, 18 months. uh, And as such, providing the information in sequence uh, because your new employee will not have the same type of demand when joining or one year down the road uh, after performing his job. And being able to provide the right information at the right time is important. As such, um, early on, and I will say in the first 15 days, having the ability to provide short video uh, from, you know, key individual within the organization, welcoming them, but also providing them direction about what is the norm, what are the value, and the way in which team, or even failure, uh, or setback uh, within one task is perceived within the organization, is extremely helpful in creating an environment where right away the candidate feel um, that he is on board, he's part of the company. And if you, uh, you know, just talk to people around you, you will be surprised to oftentimes realize that people have a very bad um, experience with onboarding. And so this is oftentimes um, an event uh, that organizations forget. Now, even after a person has um, been in an environment and they are part of an unrepresentative group, um, Is there something that is needed, such as mentorship or sponsorship? And can you explain the difference between the two? Yeah. And so they are extremely important because um, mentorship and sponsorship are not the same. Um, Those words, I will say, have been coined by several colleagues of mine, including uh, Ermina Ibarra, who is at the London Business School and um, who have actually uh, reprint her uh, new book, her new book, uh, uh, Think Like a Leader, Act Like a Leader, where she really nailed uh, more than 15 years ago, what is the difference between 
mentorship and sponsorship. So mentorship is really someone who will provide you um, along the way various direction uh, about what need to be, um, you know, in the way in which you have to respond, for example, to a situation uh, when um, you disagree with your management or so on. That can be someone that is within the company or that can be someone who can be outside of the company providing you direction. A sponsor, however, it's someone who strategically uh, is able to advocate for you within the organization, being able to provide opportunity uh, for exposure and for career growth. Knowing that definition, uh, what come um, to play is work that I have been carried, but also other work have shown that actually we have a difference of network based on our gender and based on our ethnicity and and on our race. And as such, um, giving and having access within an organization via the network is not equally the same. And so what is extremely important is to make sure that when you come into an organization, you are rapidly being able to connect uh, to people that can become your sponsor along the way. Because there is a compounding effect, and that is also linked with the title, uh, you know, diversity dividend. That compounding effect of having a network and of people who are able to advocate on your behalf for your career's growth is extremely important. One very, I will say, simple nudge, and when I say nudge, I should uh, precise that the term was coined by two colleagues of mine, uh, Cass Sunstein and Richard Taller, in their book Nudge, is a light push into a way that will compound in their benefit of providing uh, something into your career. And in that specific area is the ability to ask people that you meet, tell me who are the five people that you think I should connect within the organization. And by doing this simple exercise, I have seen with company that I'm working and with government, an exponential growth of um, network and reducing inequality for uh, women and underrepresented individuals by simply applying these nudges. Now, in your book, you say that women and people of color have histories of being compelled to perform drudge work. You also say that the grunt work usually yields little currency when it comes to promotion. Yet, they are seen as not being a team player if they refuse to do this. So what should someone do if they find themselves repeatedly being asked to do simple tasks? Yeah, um, they are what I, you know, what I refer to as rewarded and non-rewarded tasks. Uh, the non-rewarded tasks are often allocated uh, to women and um, individual of underrepresented group. And what happened is those 
non-rewarded task uh, when in time of promotion are not the sexy rewarded task that will say to a group of individual, look, this individual is extremely valuable for the success of the company or the project or overall the growth of the team. Uh, the argument will be more difficult to be made. And so what happened is when you're finding yourself in those situations um, is the ability to share with your manager, but also with, um, I will say, upper level, the amount of non-rewarded tasks that uh, you have been uh, doing. And, you know, the best way is the ability to have a track record of uh, at the end of a project, at the end of the task uh, that has been performed by teams, having a short summary about those tasks and reminding, you know, after three months, hey, you know, just to check in, this is uh, all the activity that we have been performed. Um, and I'm just noticing that I keep having those tasks. Um, whereas other colleagues of us, you know, and teammates uh, working with me on those projects don't seem to get those tasks. Can you explain me why and what is the best way for us to change that dynamic so that type of task is equally distributed um, across all team members so everyone can have the opportunity to learn from it and also having the ability to develop new skill. So that's a, you know, a very easy twist that an individual can do um, in making sure that um, He's empowering himself to change the direction of receiving non-rewarded tasks that over time will not be helpful in building his file uh, for promotion. What are your thoughts on performance reviews? Can you talk to us about the role of promotion? How does that play in increasing diversity? Um, you know, I think promotion is... Um, any side of the equation, the one giving it or the one receiving it, no one like it. Uh, the problem with promotion and I will say annual performance feedback, what I have found is it's really prone uh, to biases. And my work um, have led me even to um, you know, see firsthand uh, the impact of um, biases kicking in in terms of promotion related to feedback where women and underrepresented individuals get harsher feedback, less actionable feedback um, to be able to grow into their career. So for example, an individual can get um, a feedback after they have talked to someone and say to them, hey, I do think, for example, John, um, after you have interacted with a client, you could have done X, Y, and Z. And this is, for example, what I will have done. Whereas Maritza or, you know, Ojin um, will not receive those type of feedback and simply will receive uh, Maritza, Ojin, um, I don't think you have handled the relationship with the client very well. And that's it. And so, Promotion is extremely important 
in the way that it will um, set you into a path of career growth or not. And being able to get into a career growth comes from feedback you may have received along the way. Um, they are, generally speaking, and should not be, I will say, first and foremost, a surprise for any type of candidate or any type of employee. Um, in, in the annual performance review, you should know, I will say firsthand, what will come. Because if you are not aware of that, it means that there have been some issue of communication with your manager about your performance. Um, you should have received many, uh, I will say, sign along the way if you have performed well or not. Um, and acting by surprise um, is, you know, not a way in which you will get great results over over time with your employee and overall their performance. So promotion is something that I will say. Uh, embody a lot uh, of um, in terms of process information and people biases. Now, what can you do in terms of entangling it, you as an employee and making sure that you're receiving the less biases, um, feedback, or, you know, I will say um, not not only biases, feedback, but way in which you can empower yourself to grow in your career. One way that I found work extremely well is after the end of every project, you know, taking note of what you have done, how well did you went, what you have learned, um, and how, um, you know, where your shortcoming were, and how did you overcome those shortcomings into the next project. And just prior to the annual performance review, being able to send those, you know, summary uh, to your manager. So you providing him way in which he have seen how you have grown over the time and what you have learned and how you have applied those knowledge into new situation. That helps you control, I will say to some extent, uh, the information that a manager reviewing you um, will have in time of annual performance review um, and the biases that may kick in. How did COVID-19 make inclusivity even more of a challenge? Well, uh, you know, I think uh, we all have... Um, have seen uh, data um, on how COVID-19 have affected uh, the entire world, right? And one of the key elements uh, that COVID-19 have done was providing uh, some flexibility um, to a part of the workforce, where generally speaking, um, women uh, coming um, and being able to work at home. What we also have seen with COVID-19 uh, is, well, actually the burden of working at home is um, not off. And so the inequality still exists. And what I actually have found uh, while the book where, um, you know, finalize and imprint um, is remote work is actually not 
as beneficial as we initially sought for women and underrepresented individuals um, in the sense that they get even more penalized uh, than before. And so COVID-19 had, I will say, a very long um, compounding effect and not necessarily a very good compounding effect on the career growth of uh, women and underrepresented individuals. And so this is a reason why, um, you know, I have been outspoken about the fact that, yes, uh, we don't like to go back uh, to work, yet there are some, um, I will say, fundamental data-driven reason why employers want to make sure that part of their workforce is back working in the office for a certain number of days. And one of them is making sure that their annual performance review and their feedback are not more biased uh, than they should be uh, due to the fact that people are not seen despite being and working remotely. Is it up to leadership to increase diversity in the workplace or do entry-level employees and middle management have a role? I think it both ways. I think leaders have a key role in setting up a culture where everyone can understand their message and are able to, uh, you know, see the, the value and the mission and the purpose of the organization and why people should be behind them. They have to be um, the ones simplifying um, all those complex uh, challenges that the company may face for bringing people into a unity of not only the short-term but also the long-term benefit of the company. That's number one. And I will say the other side of that is the long-term benefit of the company is making sure that is representative of the consumer that they are serving. And the consumer that they are serving is a very diverse world. And as such, making sure that their workforce is diverse, representing the world that is out there. That's the part on the management and executive to um, diversify their workforce. The other part is what can the manager and, you know, aspiring leader uh, can do um, in terms of diversity and inclusion. They are the one executing those decisions and they are the one who are able to, um, you know, uh, when they assess um, individual for a potential job or think about someone else who can come and feel the position of somebody who left, have the power of making those decisions and executing, I will say, the vision of leader in terms of diversity. And so making sure that they are equipping themselves with the right tool in their toolkit uh, to make, uh, I will say, the best decision um, is extremely important. Do you think that AI will impact diversity in the workplace? And if so, how? Definitely. Uh, there is no doubt in my mind, you know, despite uh, AI 
being a buzzword in the last year, AI have been around uh, for a very long time, um, especially in the field of people analytics. And um, I do think two ways. First, AI will help and empower part of the workforce and is here to stay. So the question is, how are we going to do to make sure that inequality is not perpetuated by AI um, and by people who are empowered by AI? And that's number one. Uh, bearing in mind that, you know, for example, the use of um, chat GDP is one of them, but there are many uh, other tools like that on the market. Uh, we see that there is big uh, gender and ethnicity gap happening there by people who have access, knowledge in how to use it and uh, being able to translate that into um, labor skill. So that is something that is extremely important to have in the back of your mind. The second part is, you know, how does AI uh, are built by whom? Uh, what are the criteria um, that are used in um, developing uh, those AI tool is the second element that I believe and I have been extremely outspoken for the last 10 years on that point, making sure that the algorithm that we are using in AI is not biased, not biased by um, the group of developers, but also uh, going down to the consumer and having a ripple effect. We should not forget that early AI have shown um, that they were prejudicial towards certain group and powerful company have used them uh, for a short period of time, realizing very quickly that those AI were actually um, not um, helpful, but more harmful to certain group. The third one is uh, in terms of people analytics and in terms of job. Uh, I do think AI will be extremely helpful in debiasing the annual performance review. And I do, um, you know, I've seen firsthand the power of those AI um, analytics, such as IDEA, which stand for Inclusive Decision and Equitable Assessment uh, Software, on their ability to debias um, annual performance review and the feedback that people were receiving. So I do think that there are good things coming to it. That's good to hear. What is the message you would like to leave your reader with once they finish your book? There are solutions uh, to increase and maintain diversity and um, inclusion within their company. And I like to say, don't do diversity and inclusion. Do uh, decision intelligence, because you will be sure by doing that, that diversity and inclusion is part of your decision. Well, I've taken up enough of your time. Can you tell us about the next project you'll be working on? The next project I'm working on is actually on uh, designing an inclusive metaverse, uh, making sure that, um, you know, the future that we're bringing to our kid and grandkid uh, is as inclusive as possible. Sounds like a great project. Thank you again for being on the podcast. 
Thank you so much for having me and thank you for listening to us today.